Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcasted live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody. Welcome to the Dan Scott Show and... Correspondingly, episode 29 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. I am Dan. Tom Van Hoy will be here in a moment. Dave Glenn in the second half of our get-together. We look forward to spending the next hour or so with you. And uh, coming off of a, uh, a busy, busy weekend, I'm going to talk about quite a bit uh, of college sports action from uh, basketball tournaments, which have already happened and which are going to happen at the Power 5 level coming up this weekend. Spring football and an improbable comeback victory for the Furman Paladins. And uh, also some big-time college baseball that Tom and I got to do on Big Ten Network Plus on Sunday uh, and saw a, a couple of really, really strong pitching performances, including one from a young man named Jason Savakul for the University of Maryland, his first collegiate start. A six-hit complete game shutout. We're going to talk some about that. Dave Glenn will be here to talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference. Going to pick his brain and see if he has a favorite conference tournament memory or two from the ACC, among other things. See what news and notes he has for us, not only in the conference, but uh, going uh, around college athletics at large. And uh, we hope to encapsulate all this for you in about an hour. Our... um, Thanks to those of you who are listening, as always, on WZLA in Abbeville, uh, Greenwood, and, and the surrounding areas there. Got some new sponsors who've jumped on with us down there. We really appreciate you from the radio side. And, of course, we've added some new sponsors on the podcast side as well, and you will hear from them as we go through the course of our day. They include uh, the Hall of Fame uh, Sports Grill in Greenville. They include Brian Dooley, the uh, wonderful chiropractor in Pickens and my friend Ed Patterson, your state farm agent at Cherrydale Plaza in Greenville. But the podcast is brought to you by our uh, good friends at Todaro Pizza in uh, downtown Greenville on the West End, Markley Street, just down from Fleur Field at the West End. In fact, uh, John and the folks there, they have just continued to do amazing work through this pandemic, making a safe environment for you to dine inside or outside, continuing to provide bucket list pizza. I mean, this pizza is is so good. It's so outstanding. They feed us, by the way, once a homestand uh, at the Greenville Drive, and it is the most popular thing that happens in that press box. I can promise you that. The menu and operating hours at todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com, 
And uh, don't forget the Sloan Street location in Clemson is open for takeout and delivery only. That's Todaro Pizza. They bring you the podcast version of this on a weekly basis. All right, we'll step aside, take a break, come back. Tom Van Hoy will join us. As I said, a busy, busy weekend to wrap up, and we'll get started right after this. Don't go away. You might know that State Farm agent Ed Patterson has great service. He's your good neighbor, after all. But did you know State Farm has surprisingly great rates, too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Ed Patterson has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Greenville. So call State Farm agent Ed Patterson at 864-322-0031 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. We are back and just getting things cranked up. Dan Scott Show slash the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast, episode 29 of said podcast. Brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza. Happy to have you along with us. Good to see my friend Tom Van Hoy as we continue to do this mess via Zoom. Uh, not like we spent 100 hours together yesterday at Floor Field in downtown Greenville, but uh, <laughs> always good to get together, right? Yeah, we, we're like a traveling band, Dan. We move from site to site and have to write down where we are and know what sport it is and what game we're doing. But, man, you can't, can't beat that. We've just been on the road a lot, but uh, fun to do a lot of important, important sporting events. Uh, you, some would call it a traveling band. Others might more accurately refer to it as a traveling circus Well, where, where you go. and I are concerned. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, I, I told you, as, as you and I were talking before we, we started the show, uh, about – our job, especially at, at this level, when you're doing multiple things in multiple days and at a busy time like we've had here, where in the past two weeks I've done multiple football, baseball, and basketball games, and, and so have you. Um, I, I used to wonder about a a you know a, a huge rock band being on the road and they're, they're <laughs> yeah. opening opening in Cleveland, and the guy will get up and say, "Hello, Chicago." And the crowd will boo, and he'll have to say, "Oh yeah, this is Cleveland, oh, yeah. right?" And I was, you know, I used to think, "How can you do that? How can you not know where you are?" And then I got into broadcasting. And, oh yeah, and, and and it's very very easy when things start to run together to forget what day it is, what sport you're doing, who you're doing, and and sometimes even what city you're in. Well, I've told this story before, but uh, back in the day when I started in, in southeast Kansas and, you know, doing high school football on Friday and college football on Saturday and 80 basketball games a year with girls and boys, high school, college. One Friday night, I'm, I'm headed to do a high school game and, and I pull into the town and I go to the stadium and I, wow, I wonder why nobody's here. I know you, you and I, if people don't know, we, we get there very early, yes. you know, make, make your stuff works. And I was in the wrong town. And fortunately it was down the road about 20 miles. So I was okay. But man, I, you know, like about feeling like an, an idiot. You know? <laughs> well, I've, I've never, I've never gone to the wrong town, man. but as you know, I have gone to the wrong arena. 
That's true. In, in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, once doing Clemson women's basketball, making the assumption that from the previous year when they had played at the the big arena, it used to be called the RBC Center. I don't know what it is now. It's where the Carolina Hurricanes play and where the North Carolina State men play. Well, the women played there initially, but decided to move things back to uh, Reynolds Coliseum on campus to have a little more of an intimate atmosphere and a better home court advantage. Somehow I missed that memo and uh, the, the story. <laughs> we don't have time to go into the full story, maybe sometime later. Maybe we'll do just an episode on broadcast stories uh, one of these times. But um, need, needless to say, when you connect to the studio just as the intro to the game is saying, and now here's Dan Scott. Hello, everybody from Reynolds Coliseum. You know, all, all the people care about was that it was on the air. They didn't care about the story, but it's one of those things. And I'm not sure they teach that at Syracuse. No. And, you but, know, I, I don't know that Dave, Dave Glenn teaches that in his class either. We can well, ask him when, we'll when we have him. We'll ask him here yeah. in a little bit. <laughs> so, so, a lot of stories, a lot of stories, you know, like so, a million stories in New York or whatever it yeah. is. I don't know if they're entertaining or informative, but they make you and I laugh. So. And ultimately, isn't that the most important thing? As long as we are entertained. There uh, we go. Because we are in an industry where our motto is, where else can you have this much fun for no money? There you go. So there you and, go. the entertainment value is, is very, very important. <laughs> to be determined. Uh, yes. Right? Yeah. All right. So this weekend, you and I did football, basketball, and baseball. So let, let's talk a little bit about what went on at Furman on Saturday because we did a an extended day, a doubleheader. And one of the more improbable football victories that, that I've been associated with, especially at the collegiate level, a Furman team that was down 24-7 after a quarter, Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And somehow, some way, they scored two touchdowns in the final 629 of regulation to tie it, send it to overtime, and then won it in overtime. I mean, and at one juncture in the fourth quarter, Tom, Hamp Sisson was four out of 16 passing and somehow ends up with over 220 passing yards and three touchdowns. It, it, yeah, was, pretty- it was just an incredible, weird Saturday afternoon at Paladin Stadium. That's why you move on to the next play. It's, it's easy to talk about that. I mean, gosh, the way that game began with the Samford fumble, the opening kickoff, Furman goes ahead 7 nothing. Next thing you know, there's a 45-yard interception return for Samford, a 65-yard punt return for a touchdown as well, and a lot of big plays, a lot of things went wrong Furman's way. And I mean, literally looked dead in the water and hung in there, hung in there, made some plays when they needed to play on offense, and they were able to get a key, two key stops on runs on on a third and sh- and fourth down uh, short yardage situations to get the ball back and have an opportunity to, to, to win the game and, and then get it into overtime. And then here Stanford has got the ball uh, first and goal or second and goal at the two-yard line and look like we're going to head to second overtime. And you and I are going, man, we're never going to get to Asheville for basketball. And the ball popped out and Berman was able to – come up with it so i think it's just a you know a, a pretty good example of you know most everybody that was watching or listening or in the stands going man oh man just can't get it going but you know what those kids hung in there and made the plays they needed to do really good win after the tough loss to bmi 14 13 and a really tough loss for samford yeah and and you you watched how the offense was struggling through most of the game really in in one way or another 
and then look up when it's all said and done, and they had 525 yards of total offense. And you're like, how <laughs> did that happen? Yes, you're exactly right. We went down to do post game. Uh, Marcus uh, McMorris and I were down there, and and uh, yeah, I was looking the same thing you were because we all talked about man, really struggled, really this and that, and lo and behold, you end up with more than 500 yards in total offense. Couldn't get a lot, wasn't a lot. He couldn't get into sync. It wasn't much of a flow. But when Hampson had to make a play, rolled out and threw the touchdown pass into the end zone you, in the fourth quarter, you thought, well, you know what, we got a shot. And then Ryan Miller is a guy that uh, was pretty funny on post game, uh, talking about his speed as a tight end. And, uh, you know, he outran everybody and uh, able to get it into the end zone and gave the opportunity to win the game. And what got lost in the shuffle in the, the whole game, too, was the, the kicking game of Tommy Bleak Road and what he was able to mm -hmm. do, uh, punting the football and also uh, with the extra points and, and providing a chance to, to win the game. Yeah, Some three field, field goals. goals. He had 14 yep. total points uh, in the game and, and average uh, over 47 yards a punt. He had a great day and probably should be special teams player of the week in the Southern Conference. I don't know if you if you saw this on Twitter or not, but uh, the, the Furman football account retweeted this yesterday on that Ryan Miller 73-yard touchdown you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a screen. It was a tight end screen that had Hamp Sisson, the quarterback, rolling to his right, stopping, throwing back to his left. So Miller makes the catch from a dead stop and then sprints 73 yards for a touchdown and outran their entire defense, which, which was amazing. But on the sidelines was strength coach Andre Bernardi. And Andre Bernardi is sprinting the entire <laughs> way down the sideline, stride for stride almost, with Ryan Miller. And he's got his arm up in the air and the number one finger extended as he's doing it. And they clocked both Ryan Miller and Andre Bernardi at almost 17 miles an hour running down the sideline. It, it was it was pretty funny. Check out the, the, uh, the Furman Football Twitter account because somebody retweeted that and they've got uh, Bernardi – uh, in a uh, yellow box on the sideline so you can pick him out. And, man, he is kicking it down the sideline. That That is very cool. You know, that's very creative. Somebody came up with that. And, uh, you know, I was going to say, uh, let's hope he doesn't pull a hamstring or something. But, you know, he, he knows his uh, strength and conditioning. He knows what's happening. Right? Uh, Andre ain't pulling no hamstring. I can promise you that. <laughs> He's in too good a shape. Uh, that was the high Saturday for Furman. The, the low came Saturday night uh, when Bob Ritchie's basketball team had a 15-point lead over VMI in the quarterfinal round of the Southern Conference basketball tournament with about eight minutes to go and end up losing in overtime 91-90, uh, to 90, and, and the basketball season ends. It, it would be uh, just a, an outright miracle if there's any kind of postseason because the NIT is... Uh, only 16 teams this year, and Furman's net ranking is, is in the high 70s or was going into the tournament. So the the season most likely is over. Uh, it was a, a very strange basketball season, and uh, you, you have to give the kids credit for doing what they needed to do to get through it, but I know that that's no consolation for them right now because they feel like this is a team that should be playing Greensboro tonight for the conference championship. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about, about sports. It can come to a screeching halt like that. And, and ABC had nothing on uh, on Furman on Saturday with the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. I mean, you're playing well in basketball, and, and you've got that 15-point lead, as you mentioned, with eight and a half to go. You're up by 10 with 308. You go one out of nine down the, down the stretch and uh, had a chance to uh, 
with the ball there at the end of regulation, but uh, on the drive by Mike Bothwell, lost it, went out of bounds. And fortunately, Greg Parham at that point had a shot for VMI, went off the, the back of the rim, and then uh, Miles Lewis, Lewis scores at six, uh, the first six for VMI to take the lead in, in overtime. And at that point, it, if you go back to regulation, it was a 16-2 to two run. But Furman hung in there. They got a three from Alexander. They got a three from from Clay Mouse to at least provide that opportunity there at the end. It's one of the really unique situations that uh, it didn't determine the outcome of the game, but it, it was a big play in the game that probably will never show up. And if you weren't there or watching or listening, you wouldn't know uh, this particular play. It was when the one late in the game where uh, in overtime there where the ball got stuck and uh, – between the rim and the in the uh, and the backboard, and on the possession arrow, it stayed with uh, with thirty some seconds to go, and and it stayed with uh, uh, VMI, yeah, VMI, so that they got the ball back. And you know, and that's not saying that Furman would have got the rebound, but the probability of that happening, <laughs> where it, uh, on that type of shot, where it was for it to get stuck, and where the possession arrow was, those kind of little things sometimes can can help anyway determine the outcome of a game. Yeah, no question about it. Then we turned to page to yesterday, and I want to camp out here a little bit because uh, we had an opportunity to do a pair of uh, Big Ten baseball games for the uh, Big Ten Network, uh, their digital mm -hmm. platform. Uh, we saw uh, in Game 1, uh, Illinois beat Ohio State 8 nothing, and in Game 2, Maryland beat Michigan by a score of 3-2. to two. Both of those wins... Yeah, Michigan State. Uh, yeah. Michigan State, yeah. Both of those wins allowed uh, those teams to avoid being swept in a four-game series. When I kind of set it up, w how the Big Ten is doing things, 44 games I think they're playing in the regular right. season. And their opening uh, this weekend that was just completed was their opening weekend, so they're like two weeks behind everybody else. Uh, this weekend and next weekend, at least, they're, they're playing in uh, pod locations in different places across the country. So there were four teams in Greenville at Floor Field. There were four teams in Round Rock, Texas, and five teams, I believe, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yep. Uh, and they'll do something similar this coming weekend with Michigan State and three other teams coming down. And, and they, they played just four-game series. So you, you had four teams here, but it wasn't a round-robin type thing. Maryland and Michigan State played a four-game series. Illinois and Ohio State played a four-game series. Same thing went on in the other locations. Tom, it was a um, it was a great to be back in Floor Field for the first time for you and I in over eighteen months, and and, and B, we saw some high level baseball. It, it was really fun to see baseball being played at that level again. Hey, Illinois beat Ohio State <clears throat> eight nothing, and then the, the second game was uh, Maryland winning three two, and we'll get to the, their pitcher here in just a moment, but. Yeah, we, we did, and, and and I know you and I commented throughout the course of the, of the ball game. There were some really, really good defensive plays, and when we visited with the folks from Illinois, they hadn't even been outside, and this happens, of course, when you're up in the, the upper Midwest and the Northeast. First time they've been out was on Wednesday, and, I mean, I know you do drills and you do some other things as well, but it's a lot different than live action and, you know, being in a stadium and all that kind of stuff, but we saw some really, really good defensive plays in that game, and you know, it was pretty quality baseball. The The only team in the big uh, 10 that's ranked in Baseball America Top 25 is Michigan. We'll see Michigan this weekend, Purdue Northwestern, and Michigan State out of Fleur Field. The folks, you know, if you, well, I don't know, if, no, Big 10 protocols can't get in. I was going to say, try to do that. You can only get, what, four per player, I think, they give out tickets. So it's their protocol. 
but they'll be down there anyway. And uh, I was impressed with uh, the way they played, given the circumstances that they hadn't been able to get outside much at all. And and uh, it was it was fun to get back there. And that second game was, which was the three-two game, was really well played. Well, we saw some some freshman starters. Three three of the four starters. Uh, and, and the games that we saw were, were freshmen. Uh, Cole Kershipper for Illinois, uh, he's a COVID redshirt freshman. He started off last year 3-0 with a 135 earned run average when COVID shut things down. Technically, he's still a freshman, and, and he had a nice start. Uh, five innings allowed just one hit and no runs. But in the second game, you had a pair of true freshmen who started, and, and Jason Savakul, from Maryland in his collegiate debut. Check out this line. Nine-inning complete game, six hits, two runs, only one earned, two walks, only struck out two through 103 pitches, 67 strikes, went the distance, and uh, was in command, Tom, the entire way. And and Rob Vaughn, the Maryland head coach, had no qualms about running him back out there in a one-run game in the ninth inning to see if he could finish it. Yeah, you, we were going keeping track of pitch counts and in, in early in the season and, and how everybody's different on how they how they gauge that. And we kept looking to the bullpen and, well, no, he's going to go back out there in the seventh. He's going to go back out there in the eighth. And, and he went back out there in the ninth and had a really a, a quick ninth. But the one thing that he did do was he had command of his pitches. He, he got ahead in the count, you know, changed the, the sight level in, in both sides of the plate. And it was impressive because we've done a lot of baseball over the years and sometime, and this is the fourth game, not the third game, because most time it's a three game series and you're wondering, you know what, those third games are going to go three and a half hours because you're into your, your third starter sometimes. And that, you know, that's nothing against the third starters, but you know, the, the starters we were told with these four teams, they came in, there were, there were like, what did they tell us, 50 scouts there the first couple of yeah. days to watch some of the frontline pitchers as well. But, man, if this, if this young man is the, is the fourth pitcher uh, for, uh, for Maryland, they got a chance this year. But that was a big win for Maryland because they lost the first three and a big win for Illinois. They lost the first three. Only playing 44, you know, your Clemsons and South Carolinas of the world are going to try to get in the 56. So they could get hurt with strength schedules and some other things like that. When you start talking about postseason play, no Big Ten postseason tournament this year either. Yeah, and, and they're only playing conference games. They're playing a 44-game conference schedule, no out-of-conference games. So it's going to be uh, just the way they've decided to try to handle playing baseball with the pandemic still going on. Hopefully it's it's starting to wind down, but they, they made that decision early. That's what they're doing. I think the thing that most impressed me about Jason Savakul as as that game went on, or a couple of things. Number one, the fact that he just he he, he was unflappable. You know, no, no matter what went on, he never showed any emotion. Never seemed to lose his composure at all, and, and he he continued to command the strike zone uh, the entire game. But the other thing, Tom, there just weren't very many balls that were hard hit off of him. Everything with the exception of, of, of maybe three or four over the course of a nine-inning game. Everything was routine, routine ground balls, routine fly balls. Nobody r- was really able to square up this kid, and they certainly didn't do it on a consistent basis. And that tells you that he was keeping hitters off balance and that they weren't able to get comfortable and, and, and develop maybe a, uh, a sense, a pitching pattern, so to speak. He, he really did a good job 
of, of keeping hitters off balance for nine innings. Yeah, a lot of times we sit up there and we do like everybody else does. We speculate on whatever the count is and what he might throw here. And, you know, sometimes when you get behind in the count, particularly early in the year and particularly early in the game, you can sit fastball and, and you can pretty much anticipate what you're going to get. But, you know, sometimes you, you do, but can you catch up with it or wherever it's placed? It's not just right down the heart of the plate. Um, so a lot of ground balls. The other thing we saw uh, that was refreshing was uh, move the runner over. I mean, the one run that uh, Michigan State uh, did score there late in the ball game, reached on an air, got on to second base. The next guy hits a ground ball to the second baseman. He goes to third. The next guy hits a fly ball to center, and you got to run, and you're within 3-2. So it was kind of kind of nice to, to see some some of that go on uh, <laughs> again in baseball. Well, how, how does Maryland score it, its first run in the second inning? Uh, and you're saying, well, why are they playing small ball in the second inning? Well, they want to get a lead. Uh, they, they've lost three games, so mm-hmm. um, their, their leadoff hitter in the second inning singles, you get a walk, and then they ask their freshman catcher, Luke Schleiger, to put down a sacrifice bunt, which he does successfully, moves runners to second and third. Next, a catcher, Dan? A catcher. <laughs> and then the next hitter, Troy Schreffler, first pitch swinging, sacrifice fly to left field, and it's a one nothing ball game with the runner scoring. So if, if he doesn't get that bunt down, then that fly ball is just an out. So they were able to execute. They got a lead. They scored again in the next inning to go up 2 nothing, and and um, Savicool was in control the rest of the way. But, yeah, playing fundamental baseball, moving the runners over. And what I like, there was a situation, I can't remember which game it was or even which team it was, but somebody let off an inning with a double, and, and the next hitter was a freshman left-handed batter, and he pulled a ground ball to the right side that got that runner to third base with one out, and eventually I believe he would score. The reception that the kid who made the ground out got from his teammates in the dugout for doing his job, and, and something you, you very rarely see in Major League Baseball anymore. Nobody talks about doing these little things. But for me, as a guy who thrived on playing fundamental baseball and loves to see fundamental baseball played, to see not only the guy do his job, but the appreciation that he got from his teammates in the dugout to me, that was worth the price of admission yesterday because that shows me those kids know the game of baseball. Well, what's the the old saying too uh, uh, in the major leagues anyway? From from the agent, can't take that to arbitration. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing too, Dan, and uh, that I think people I think need to realize or at least uh, be cognizant of is. We said something to uh, was it Illinois or some somebody that was up in the in the press box about well what uh, you guys flying back after the game? Uh, no, those buses are waiting right outside the third baseline for yeah. our twelve hour <laughs> ride back home. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny, and and I guess maybe you look at it as who are the blue bloods in the Big Ten and who aren't, but uh, Ohio State and Michigan State flew. Oh yeah, they flew, and uh, Illinois and Maryland bust. Now for Mar- Maryland, you're talking about a about an eight, eight-and-a-half-hour bus trip, maybe nine. But yeah, for Illinois, it was a 12-hour bus ride back well, home. So yep. so that, that bus ride was a, a little easier to take, salvaging the uh, final game of that series and not getting swept. That would have been a long, long bus ride had they lost all four games of that series. 
So that was the weekend. I just wanted to make sure that we we talked a bit about Jason Savakul and, and the way that young man pitched. Um, it, it was it was great to see uh, a collegiate debut like that uh, under those circumstances, and as well as he pitched, he deserves a lot of props. Anybody happier than Eric Jarenko, yeah. Alex Guest, and the, those uh, with the, the Greenville Drive who really um, did a really good job in hosting that because South Carolina and Clemson played there. Uh, and what the, they've set up, the, the drive will begin on May 4, but prior to that, you've got opportunities. I know North Greenville's going to go in there. I think Wofford's got a game there. You've got several high school games. Can you, I mean, you know, you grew up in West Virginia. I grew up in Kansas. Can you imagine playing a high school game in, in a facility, this replica of Fenway Park? We, we, I mean, I'm, if we had the grass, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, the rocks and the infield. We, we, we've got to get to a break, but I'll, I'll, yeah. say, I'll say this. When I played American Legion baseball, uh, every year we would go to Bluefield, West Virginia. And, and, mm-hmm. Blue, and Bluefield had a, a minor league short season team in, in the Appalachian League. And the the park, it was okay, but the fact that it was a minor league park, you know, and this is this is the mid nineteen eighties, so the fact that you're playing in a minor league park, I don't care if it's a dump or not, it's still a minor league park, you know. You you were uh, you were always looking forward to that opportunity because you got to do it one time a year when we traveled. All right, let's take a break. Dave Glenn will join us when we come back. This is uh, the Dan Scott Show and episode twenty nine of Grumpy Old Broadcasters and. We'll all be back in just a moment. A quick word about the Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard. You need to check out this wide-ranging menu that they have. I mean, it is just simply fantastic. But they have special events going on all throughout the week. For instance, Tuesday is Bar Trivia for Dummies. Wednesday, 30-second Music Bingo. They have burger specials on both Tuesday and Wednesday. Dirty Bingo on Thursday, also their world-famous Smoked Wings on Thursday only, Karaoke with Fred Rock on Fridays, and then on the weekends, it is all sports. High-definition televisions everywhere. If the game is on, you are going to see it. That's the Hall of Fame Sports Grill. Again, 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard. Very, very happy to have them as a sponsor here on Grumpy Old Broadcasters Podcast. You can check them out online at HallOfFameSportsGrill.com and tell them Dan Scott sent you. If it's Monday, it means it's another edition of the Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters Podcast. Moving on, as we uh, do every week to... uh, phase two of our program and welcoming in the uh the man who well we've been doing this in one form or another for almost 20 years which i don't know if that speaks to talent longevity neediness whatever the case may be dave glenn is here uh i think i need him more than he needs me but uh we are rocking and rolling again time to talk all things acc big picture College Athletics, speaking of the athletic, that's where he works, athletic.com, athletic subsite, uh, the Athletic Carolinas, and acc.com founder. Your resume, again, just keeps getting longer and longer. You're harder to introduce seemingly every week. 
You always do a good job, though. I never mind what you include, what you leave out. You, <laughs> after two decades, you could just say, my good friend David Glenn, and I'm okay with that. Well, you know, I, 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 I take introducing you the, the same way that I, I take consistently giving a score in a, in a broadcast that somebody may be flipping on the radio and yeah. don't know what's going on, so you give the score every so often. I always take the the mindset that maybe there's somebody listening for the first time who doesn't know yeah. who Dave Glenn is. And, and I go back to a great story, and, and Tom, uh, either of you guys may have heard this story, but late in Joe DiMaggio's career, so this is going back to the late 1940s, in a meaningless game, the Yankees were killing somebody, and and uh, he goes hard from first to third. I think the story was on a on a base hit by somebody, and and, and just is just kicking it. And, and later, somebody asked him, "You know, game's in control. Why are you doing that?" And his response was, "Because there may have been somebody in the stands today who's never seen me play." I wish more athletes. I love that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As, as a youth soccer coach and as a baseball guy, I often told my players, including my two children, play today as if a scout or a grandparent or somebody else that matters has never seen you play before, doesn't know your reputation, and might leave that scout with some impression of you. And I said, one thing they're going to leave with is not wondering how much you care. I don't know what the scoreboard's going to say. I don't know if you're going to score. My son was a goalie, so I, I don't know if you're going to give up eight goals or have a clean sheet. But people are not going to leave this game, whether there's five people watching or 5,000 people watching. They're not going to leave wondering how much you cared. And that's a heck of a story from the Major League Baseball level from you where – some people still have that mentality, and I'm convinced, Dan, that that's part of what makes some people great. Yeah. That they don't lower the bar regardless of circumstances, and that's not easy to do. When, when I coached American Legion Baseball the last time, uh, the, the home uh, field that we played in I had a water fountain in the dugout, and, which was obviously very popular on a hot summer day, and I posted a, a sign over top that water fountain that when somebody walked up to it, they had to see it, and it simply said, Am I playing as hard as I can? Yeah. And same thing you're talking about there. Well, I love your habit as a play-by-play -play man because as a consumer, that's something that I appreciate in a play-by-play -play man. And I would occasionally, y'all in radio probably experience this from time to time, you know you have a chunk of your listeners who, were, who are there with you either every day or almost every day. And then there's those other listeners you were describing where you don't know if it's the first time they've ever turned tuned into your show in their entire lives. And every once in a while, the everyday listeners would say, DG, why do you have to remind us that you were the guy who created accsports.com? Or why do you have to remind us that you practice law for almost two decades? Well, if there's an issue that comes up that requires some expertise on the law, I'm not patting myself on the back to remind people that I practiced law for 20 years. I'm using it to shape why my opinion should matter on a somewhat complicated issue. So the regular listeners are, of course, we know you practice law. Or of course, we know you're the ACCSports.com guy. Well, I know you know, 
But there are a lot of other people who may not care about my all ACC vote. But if I say I've been voting since 1988, that at least adds a little bit of credibility because there aren't many people still doing this who were voting in 1988. Mm -hmm. You might still think I'm crazy or wrong, (laughs) but uh, those those things add context to the conversation. And you have to remind the loyal listeners that they're not the only listeners that you have to cater to that broader crowd. And then when we need an expert on flag football prowess, we have Tom Van Hoy, who was a legend in Pittsburgh, <laughs> Kansas. So. But, That's bad when you peak, peak with flag football. <laughs> <laughs> knew, knew early on that broadcasting was the path. I, I think that's probably yes. it for, for many of us. When you're, when your grade point average is higher than your scoring average in high school basketball, <laughs> you know you're not going much farther. That's great. <laughs> We've all been there at some level. So, Dave, it's Monday, and the uh, regular season in uh, ACC basketball is done, and that means the conference awards have been announced. So uh, let, let's get to that. Uh, tell our folks who they were and how that jived with your personal ballot that you've been casting since 1988. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the bot. I always look at it this way. As I briefly read the list of winners, were there any votes where I was just upside down, backflip, mad or upset? No. Were there any votes that I had a different vote? Yes. Uh, but Moses Wright of Georgia Tech, the senior forward, was the ACC Player of the Year, and he's an amazing story for those who don't know. Only one major scholarship offer coming out of uh, high school in Raleigh, North Carolina, where, of course, it's not hard to be discovered by anybody, much less ACC coaches. So Moses Wright goes from relatively unheralded Raleigh, North Carolina high school player to the ACC player of the year by his senior season with the Yellow Jackets. So credit to him. I voted for Sam Hauser of Virginia, but I have no no objection to, to Moses Wright. He was my other consideration when it came down to it. Scotty Barnes of Florida State is the ACC freshman of the year. He was my vote as well. And he's actually one of the few players in the ACC this season who's likely to be uh, an NBA first round pick. There just aren't many of them in the league this year. The ACC defensive player of the year was the point guard from Georgia Tech, Jose Alvarado. I voted for Jay Huff of Virginia, but I, I Alvarado was my other finalist, so I have no major objection there. Uh, Most improved went to Matthew Hurt of Duke. Sixth man went to Scotty Barnes of Florida State. And coach of the year may be the only thing that I left out among the individual awards. Mike Young of Virginia Tech did win as I thought he would. I voted for Brad Brownell of Clemson right in your backyard. Uh, So I don't know if we have time to explore that, but uh, he did get some votes, but was not close to the top. In fact, Leonard Hamilton finished second and Josh Pastner of Georgia Tech finished third. Uh, And then the first team all ACC, I guess, is always important. Those five slots did go to, of course, Moses Wright of Georgia Tech, Sam Hauser of Virginia, Carleek Jones of Louisville, Matthew Hurd of Duke and Justin Champagny of Pitt who was uh, you know, just an amazing scorer and rebounder for a, a mediocre pit team this year. So the, you know, that leaves a lot of good players on second team, including Amir Sims of Clemson. But overall, with a few disparities, I thought the voters did a pretty good job. 
Well, let's spend a couple of minutes anyway and, and get into that debate over the coach of the year. I mean, A, it's hard to argue with the job Mike Young has done yeah. since taking yeah. over Virginia Tech, and, and Tom and I got a uh, eyeful of him for a long time here in the Southern Conference. Uh, but I, I do find it surprising that Brad Brownell would finish fourth in the voting considering where Clemson was picked in the preseason, what they went through in their first uh, COVID shutdown coming back from that, how he rebounded. I, I find it very difficult to believe that he finished fourth. Yeah, and he actually finished fifth. I didn't oh, even fifth. mention okay. T- Tony Bennett of UVA got some votes as well. So uh, it was Mike Young with 26, Leonard Hamilton with 24, Josh Pastner with 16, Tony Bennett with six, and then Brad Brownell got two votes. Chris Mack of Louisville got one. Uh, I think I do look at this a little bit differently than most. I almost go back to like the playground where I say, how many guys did you have that if, you know, if you, Dan, Dan, uh, Tom and I were three captains and we're at the playground and there's 25 guys standing around and we each get to pick our teams. Right. I believe, you know, Leonard Hamilton in at Florida state is as much as I respect the job he did. MJ Walker and Raekwon Gray are two all ACC players that in our hypothetical playground, let's pick our teams, they both get selected, right? Uh, Josh Pastner at Georgia Tech, Jose Alvarado is a senior point guard, and Moses Wright, of, Moses Wright, the player of the year, is a senior big man. They both get selected, right? So you have at least two really good players. I think at Virginia Tech, it's true they were picked low in the preseason, but once we got an eyeful of Keve Aluma, who's an All-ACC player, and they also have Tyrese Radford, who's honorable mention All-ACC, I think those are two guys that would get picked. Tony Bennett has Jay Huff and Sam Hauser and Trey Murphy and Kihei Clark. Again, I'm happy to say that they all did good coaching jobs, but do you know how many guys would get picked off of Brad Brownell's Clemson Tigers team? One, and it is not close, with all due respect to other good players. They are not high-end players by ACC standards. At Clemson this year, Clyde Trapp's a brilliant defender. Nick Honor is a nice guard. But Amir Sims is the only high-end player on that team. So if you play what I thought was the toughest schedule in the ACC, Mike Young, just for – this is just factual. I'm I'm not taking shots at those who voted for him. But Mike Young played the weakest schedule in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Brad Brownell played the toughest schedule, including the non-conference. Well, if if they both overachieved by a single uh, by a significant amount, they were both picked low. They both finished high, and I would argue that even though Brad Brownell is a five seed in the ACC tournament and Mike Young at Virginia Tech is a three seed, I would argue that when the NCAA tournament committee crunches all these numbers, I think Clemson's resume is going to be viewed as higher than Virginia Tech's. And that's the, to me, that's more important than how, you know, the ACC tournament seeds worked out. So I just think if you can inspire some of the best defense in the Atlantic Coast Conference, as Brad Brownell's coaching did, if you can be in the top tier of the ACC with one standout player, as Brad Brownell did, if you can play one of the toughest schedules in the league, and still accomplish those things, if you can win those non-conference games, Alabama and others, as Brad Brownell did, I get it. There were other good candidates, but 
I thought the guy did one of the best coaching jobs he's ever done. And he's been really good for three different schools at this point. UNC Wilmington right here in my backyard where I'm teaching now, uh, Wright State, and, and now Clemson. And I know he's only been to, what is it, three, turn, three NCAA tournaments now, I believe, in, in more than a decade with the Tigers. So I'm not, you know, advocating for him for the Hall of Fame or anything like that. I just think he did a great job this year. And it boils down to what did you squeeze out of whatever you had? Mm-hmm. I don't think you could squeeze an ounce more out of these Clemson Tigers than what Brad Brownell has squeezed out of them this season. And to me, that's the essence of great coaching. Tom? Well, if let's flip it back and, and ask you if you were surprised by the margin that North Carolina beat Duke. I was. Um, you very rarely see a Duke team with a blank lost um, feeling or look in their eyes. And at the Smith Center over the weekend, those Duke players, when Carolina came out to a big lead early, I mean, you're typically, I'm used to seeing these guys scratch and claw and, you know, figuratively look ready. They're like, they're ready to gouge each other's eyes out to win a game in that rivalry. And there were some intense moments and diving for loose balls, but it was nothing close to the level of intensity that we've all come to expect from Mike Krzyzewski teams and I think just the the culmination of this massively disappointing season has gotten to the Blue Devils. And Matthew Hurt just was named first team All ACC. He was invisible against the Tar Heels, uh, and and you know a coach famous for a lot of reasons, but one of them defense. Uh, the Blue Devils have played lousy defense, including against the Tar Heels this weekend. So uh, it, it was interesting to see. You know, nobody likes to get swept by their arch rival. And the Blue Devils didn't put up much of a fight as that happened on uh, Saturday. Visiting with Dave Glenn of TheAthletic.com and uh, ACCSports.com and uh, professorship at UNC Wilmington, as we do every week to talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference. All right, so the ACC tournament is this weekend, Dave. And uh, we've been kind of a running theme this year. It's not been the banner year for the league as far as having teams in the in the top one, two, three, four, or five slots in the national polls, but it's still been a good year as far as the number of teams expected to get in the tournament. So as the tournament, the conference tournament begins this week, what are you looking at? And, and legitimately, how many teams do you think the league will get into the NCAAs? Yeah, the bottom line is that I, I think seven ACC teams go to Greensboro knowing they're in the NCAA tournament. And as we've discussed in other weeks, the anomaly is really the lack of a heavyweight in this league. The anomaly is not how many teams are going to get to the big dance. There have been plenty of years since the ACC expanded to 15 that they've been in that seven-bid range. Uh, in, in fact, I think in the last four years prior to a season ago when, of course, there was no NCAA tournament. There were seven bids, nine bids, seven bids, nine bids, and the league is going to be right back where it usually is with at least seven. It's just going to be weird that there's going to be no high seed. Right now, Florida State and UVA are in that four-seed range, and there's only been one season since the NCAA tournament was seeded. That started in 1979. They started giving out one seeds, et cetera. There's only been one year since 1979 that the Atlantic Coast Conference did not have a single one seed or two seed. 
And it looks like that'll be the case this year, no matter what happens at the ACC tournament in Greensboro. But Florida State and UVA will be joined by Clemson, which I think has the next best resume right now, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Louisville, uh, and Georgia Tech. That's seven. Syracuse is going to try to become number eight. The Orange are right on the bubble as they head to Greensboro. Duke would love to make a run, but they're, they're a 500 basketball team right now. The Blue Devils are 11 and 11, nine and nine in conference play. That's not even close to good enough, of course. So the Blue Devils may have to win the tournament, but at the very least, you know, they would get Louisville on Wednesday. They would get Florida state on Thursday. You know, if you beat those two tournament caliber teams, your, your resume starts to get a little bit more interesting, but I think it's ACC solid seven, Syracuse possible eight. And then if anybody gets in beyond that, it's going to take one heck of a run in Greensboro. How many times, if any, has a team that played on the first day made it to the championship? Hmm. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Nobody has ever won the ACC tournament that way. That would require five, five, yeah. five days, which has only been done a handful of times in the entire country, historically. Um, I believe there was an NC State team in my time covering the league that uh, it might have been a smaller league at that time, so it might not have yeah. been five days. Uh, there have been trips to the ACC title game from really low seeds, but it's been a long time since anybody won from that bottom part of the bracket. <laughs> And uh, not many examples of getting to the final either. Well, in, in the Southern Conference tournament, that's being the championship is being played tonight, Monday, as we're recording this. Mercer had to play in the play-in round, so they're trying to win four games in four days. They're playing yeah. Greensboro for the title tonight. If they do that and and pull off the the fourth upset and win it, winning four games in four days, they'll become the first Southern Conference team to do that since 1939. David, do you know who that 1939 team was? Oh, my goodness. It's probably, since you're asking me, it's probably a North Carolina or Duke. Nope, it's Clemson. Huh. But it is an ACC school. Okay, yeah. Obviously, the ACC was born to a great degree out of the old Southern Conference. Yeah. So, yeah. That was a leading question, Council. <laughs> yes, there you go. Let's <laughs> got it right. You know, oh well, that's great trivia. Did, though. did, did not object though. That's that's cool. <laughs> All right. What's the old saying? Don't ever ask the question you don't know the answer to, Dave. Right? They, they do teach you that in law school. If you okay. have a witness on the stand, we don't want any surprises. <laughs> Better know what Dan or Tom is about to say in the answer to that question, <laughs> or don't ask it. Well, I, I was, you know, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna ask that question and have the answer be somebody out of the. Uh, Right. Yeah, you know, out out of uh, the Mac or some, you know, something like <laughs> that. So, um all right, Dave, when when Furman played Greensboro at the Coliseum earlier this year, Matt Doherty did the game for uh ESPNU. It was one of the three national televised games that Furman got this basketball season. And and before we went on the air, I got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes and and because we were in that legendary Coliseum, I said, "Hey, What's your favorite memory from here? Of course, he played with Michael Jordan yeah. on that national championship team. He coached North Carolina for a while. And his first response was, man, there's just too many. But then he settled on winning the 82 ACC championship over Ralph Sampson's Virginia squad. I'll ask you, you've covered this league for over 30 years. 
Do you have a favorite or a handful of favorite ACC tournament memories? I do, and I think I would go straight to 1989 in part because I was looking through the eyes of a 21-year-old young man who wasn't sure I would make a living in sports media. I don't believe I had even finished college at that point. So I was much more impressionable than I would be as a man over 50 who's seen, uh, I don't know, 20 some or 30 some ACC tournaments in a row at this point. And I'll never forget the intensity when Carolina and Duke played each other in the ACC tournament championship game. It was at the old Omni in Atlanta. So we were not yet used to seeing many tournaments outside the state of North Carolina. So it was interesting that even though it was held in Atlanta, it was the same two blue bloods uh, that often ended up facing each other even back then in the late eighties and the intensity of that game. I mean, remember Dean Smith was still the coach at Carolina. Mike Krzyzewski was not yet a national champion has five. Now he didn't have any at that point, but you could tell the blue devils were building into a monstrous monstrosity. They were both ranked in the national top 10. And of course, this would have been the third time they were playing each other that season. It was a close game. It was, it was like the heavyweight title fight where every loose ball, you just expected to, somebody to come up with a scratch or a bruise or a limp. Uh, Coach K and, and Dean Smith were barking at the officials and even sometimes glaring at each other. And the intensity of all that in the eyes of you know a 21-year-old who uh, had seen some pretty great regular season basketball, but nothing like that. Uh, and nothing like even the ACC tournament where it was a smaller league back then, obviously. Florida State hadn't even joined yet in the late 80s. But just seeing eight different schools, and in, since it was in Atlanta, you know, you could look around. And, and I just remember thinking, well, it's like slices of a pizza. This slice has Georgia Tech colors, and this slice has Duke colors, and this slice has NC State colors. And I had never seen anything like that before. Growing up in Philadelphia, I had seen what they call Big Five basketball, but I had never been uh, uh, to a, a Big East tournament or anything of that sort. So between the pageantry and the color of it all, the, the blue bloods facing each other in the title game, Carolina won a squeaker in, in that one. The, the refs were, you know, even they were kind of just showing this is not a regular basketball game. I think there was even a point where a ref said to players who got up ready to jostle with each other, not in this game, not in this game. And, and that just reinforced the theme that <laughs> I'm not seeing something normal right now. I am seeing something extraordinary and I'm glad my 21-year-old's eyes were able to see it that way. And, and if it was 1989, then every fan from every school in the arena was booing Lenny Wirtz. You're probably right. That's so true. <laughs> Back then and for many, many years, I remember as a young journalist. Tom? Hey, Dave, I'm a guy that I think the regular season means something. And in the ACC, uh, does anybody know that what, Virginia won three out of the last four? Is it all about the ACC tournament or – do you think that the ACC regular season has has a lot of meaning? Yeah, you probably recall, Tom, that the legendary Dean Smith thought that the regular season first place finisher in any league, but he, he was in the ACC, so he wanted it to be the rule in the ACC, that 
that was the team that got the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. And Coach Smith's logic was, it is harder to be really good consistently over three Mm -hmm. months than it is to play your best basketball over three days, which is what the old ACC tournament was, three days with eight teams. So logically, I think Coach Smith was right. It is harder to be that good over that longer sustained period. But you all know that it would take the lore away of a conference tournament with that precious automatic bid on the line. It would take some of the TV money probably away if it was not viewed as, you know, this potential Cinderella story waiting to unfold and somebody will come from the bottom part of the bracket and shock the world and grab an automatic bid to the bigger dance. So I think we've evolved to the point where the regular season is about building an NCAA tournament worthy resume This year, seven ACC schools have done that. As of right now, eight have not yet done that. Um, The ACC tournament is more about fun. Uh, Roy Williams of Carolina infamously referred to it as a cocktail party at one point. His fan base did not like that because he didn't win. He he was not in the process of winning many ACC tournaments, and that Mike Krzyzewski guy was winning a lot of those ACC tournaments. So every coach has a different approach. it, of course, is not the be-all, end-all for most of these players and coaches. They'll all tell you we're judged far more on that NCAA tournament. So everybody views the ACC tournament differently, but I think it really comes down to dollars and cents and practical reasons that the automatic bid goes to the tournament winner um, in a sport where obviously tournament-style play has become the essence of what college basketball is all about. Dave, wish we had time to go on, but we don't. Tell everybody how they can follow what you do on a regular basis. Yeah, thanks, Dan. On Twitter, we're at David Glenn Show, online, accsports.com, and also theathletic.com. Uh, an unbelievable staff of talented writers uh, in what is now an international website, theathletic.com. Hope everybody checks all those out. Thank you, my friend. It'll be good to talk uh, next Monday about the just-completed ACC championship, Lord willing. We'll see you then. All right, guys. Great to be with you. Take care. All right. That is Dave Dave. Glenn. We will step aside, come back, and put a wrap on this edition of the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast in just a moment. I want to take just a moment here to tell you about my friend, chiropractor Brian Dooley in Pickens Family Chiropractic in downtown Pickens, South Carolina. He's been my chiropractor. I had some issues a number of years ago and went to him. He has the most modern technology, computerized posture and spinal scans. He took care of my issues. He will take care of yours as well. He's been serving the entire family with chiropractic services since 2007. To lead your best life, you need a healthy spine. Hit a home run for your health with chiropractic care from Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic. You can find more at the website, PickensFamilyChiropractic.com, or call 864-898-3300. That's 864-898-3300. You can also schedule appointments online via the Facebook page, Pickens Family Chiropractic, LLC. Brian Dooley and Pickens Family Chiropractic. Tell them Dan Scott sent you. As we get back to wrap it up, had fun with this one. Of course, I have fun with all of them, but uh, some good stuff. Wrapping up just an incredibly busy weekend and 
Got another busy week lying ahead. Uh, looking forward to that. I will uh, tell you, if you're interested in such things, that uh, on Tuesday I'll be doing uh, ACC Network Plus Baseball for Clemson and USC Upstate. So you can dial that up. I think that's a 4 o'clock first pitch. I guess I should know that rather than think that, right, since I will be doing the broadcast. We've got Furman football coming up. We've got some North Greenville baseball in there. Uh, just a, a lot of stuff going on and uh, very appreciative of the opportunity to, to get to do it and have fun. God has blessed me to be able to do something that I love. And uh, while it gets hectic at times, I am very, very appreciative and thankful that I get to do it. Uh, uh, thanks to Dave. Thanks to Tom. As always, thanks to Tadaro Pizza for continuing to be the presenting sponsor of this um, podcast version of what we do, tadaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com. And from a podcast standpoint, again, our new sponsors, we welcome them, Hall of Fame Sports Grill, Brian Dooley, chiropractor in Pickens, South Carolina, and uh, Ed Patterson, State Farm agent in Greenville. Hall of Fame Sports Grill, by the way, is uh, in Greenville on Wade Hampton Boulevard. We'll be back with you again uh, next week. Looking forward to getting this done. Thank you so much for your attention today. And, uh, hey, go out and make a positive difference in somebody else's life. Something we all should do. Until next time, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you. and So long, everybody. Thank you.